The following message is from the 2018 IBCD Summer Institute, Loving Wayward Souls. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, thank you for your grace and goodness to us in um, so many different ways. Thank you for your love of us, God. I pray that you will um, impress on us again and in new and profound ways um, your love for us so that we can love others well. Um, I pray that you utilize this time, God, for your glory and for our good, grant clarity both of speech and um, also just of understanding as we engage together. We praise you for our time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, for those of you who I've not met, not met me before, my name's Scott. I am a pastor in Los Angeles, on the west side of LA. Oh, um, yeah. So just drove down the freeway. Um, I said this, I said this yesterday. I, I, I drove down the freeway, but some some people who flew here beat me. Because, <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> um, um, I. Uh, yeah, got four kids back home, uh, 12, 10, 7, and 6, and they're just starting into summer, and so they're excited, they're, they're, they're excited and excited for that, and I'm, I'm excited to be here, I'm excited to get to, to share with you. I've been at the church um, there in L.A. for 13 years. Um, it was a church plant originally, and the Lord's just been gracious and grown it up over the last 13 years in a place where we... Um, Practice biblical counseling in a number of different forms, but probably the most uh, regular form is simply in our small groups, our community groups, and in the lives of believers to try to equip not just our counselors and pastors with biblical counseling, but really everybody to just minister to and care for one another in the body of Christ. And so that's why I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that you have just enough interest to get equipped and hopefully to help equip those around you as well, just for ministering to and caring for those who are struggling in a number of different ways. Um, in, in this session, we're going to, um, we, we talk a lot about, and in, in the, over this weekend, I, I assume that you've gotten a lot about kind of how to care for other people, kind of what to think about specific issues as you minister to and care for other people, how you, you think about them, maybe equipping for what scriptures to use for them or in particular different situations. Um, this seminar is a, a little bit different in, in the respect that it's, this seminar is focused on you actually as the counselor and the discipler and how God has called us to minister to and care for others. And, and, and um, so I, I don't know what you were expecting coming with uh, the centrality of love and counseling. It's kind of a broad and, and, and vague uh, title, but... Um, what I want to talk about is the central importance that Scripture places on us to genuinely love those we're caring for and ministering to. And so in that sense, what I want to do is kind of spend our time in a bit kind of just doing a meditation on love in the Scriptures and how it takes root and fundamentally describes what we're called to do as counselors and as disciplers. Um, I think that we, we, get, we get caught up a lot with the questions of, okay, what, what am I supposed to do? What, what should I say? How do I do this? Like, what, where, where do I turn in Scripture? Um, where do I start? Right? We, we get sidetracked with all sorts of different questions, but there's kind of a preliminary question that we need to ask in engaging with others in relational and personal ministry, which is, Lord, first of all, what do you want me to do? Like, why do you have me here? And, and part of that's important because every person that comes to you is going to come with their own assumptions, right, of what they want from you, right? I mean, I, almost every time I sit down with a couple, particularly, and this happens with individuals as well, but almost all, every time with a couple, like, they sit down and they want me to fix their marriage, right? Like, that's the job description. And I can do one of two things, right? I can either accept the job description they've given me, right, and be like, okay, you're here for me to fix your marriage. I'm here to fix your marriage, Let's go. And then I'm like, well, I don't know what to do then. <laughs> right? Or 
I can, say, I, I can be reminded of, okay, Lord, what is the job description you've given me? What have you called me to here? Um, and, and it makes me, me think, like, if, if I was going to ask Jesus that question, right, I, I'd ask him not, not just, like, what do I say or what do I do, but I'd ask him, Lord, what, what's the most important thing to remember in counseling? Right, Lord, what's the most important thing for me to make sure I'm doing in counseling, in discipleship? And Matthew 22, I think, gives us a bit of the answer here. Right? One of them, a lawyer, asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And I think he's essentially asking this question. What, what's the most important thing to remember? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Essentially, he said, like, what's, what's the most important law? He said, well, love God and love people. Right? And if we were to ask, Lord, what's the most important thing to remember in the midst of counseling? I believe that he would tell us the most important thing is for you to love God and love the person you're ministering to. And I'm afraid that if I gave you that intro on the front end, you might be like, yeah, I know that. Why would I sit through an hour on that? Right? Like, that's done, right? So five minutes. We're good, right? Like, I know. And not only did you, like, tell me the whole thesis, but it was something I already knew. Right? Like, I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to love God. I know I'm supposed to love people. Now get me into the things I don't know. Right? Like, that's what we want. We want to get into the things we don't know. And I'm afraid that it's that process of skipping over the things we assume we know that actually gets us into the most trouble. Because we assume we're loving people. And we assume we're loving God. And we just run on doing whatever we think we should be doing. But to take the time to stop and be like, wait, wait, wait. Is that actually what I'm doing? To sit down with someone and, and not say, okay, what should I do? What should I say? What, 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 what scripture should I, should, should I share with you? But to say, oh, wait, how can I love you? Do I love you? Like, do, do I actually care? Right? Am I here because of God's call for me to love him? And to love you, to not take that for granted, I think, I don't know of anything that can be more powerful or transformative to your personal ministry than regularly taking the time to stop and say, wait, 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 am I actually doing what God's calling me to do here? Not just assume, because hey, I think we assume, like, hey, if I'm in the room, I love you, right? I'm here, aren't I? That's not, like, Jesus has a little bit of a higher bar than that, right? He's after something a little bit more than just, like, being there, just showing up. And so we see in all ministry described in the, these terms of loving God first and foremost. In Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about how we are called to minister to and care for one another. And it's probably a well-known passage, but he says, says, he gave, he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right? So he says, he gave the church its pastors, shepherds, teachers, in order that they might not just do all the ministry, but so that they might equip the saints, equip the entire church, so that the church might do the ministry, but because it's the church, it's the whole body of Christ together that's going to help build the body up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming and cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says, well, how do we do that? He says, well, we do that rather by Speaking the truth in love. I 
I catch myself often in ministry, like trying to make sure that what I'm saying is true, right? Okay, what, what scripture do you need? Like, what do you need to hear? Like, what is true? Like, what's true about the situation? How do I make sure that I speak the truth? But if all I'm sure that I'm doing is speaking the truth, I've only got half the equation, right? So I'm called to speak the truth in love. And I think that particularly even as biblical counselors, we can sometimes be distracted by making sure that we're speaking the truth and forget to ask the question whether or not we're doing it actually in love, right? As long as it's true, that's all I need, right? Like, as long as it's scripture, that's all I need. No, like, that's, that's not enough, right? Like, it, how God wants to build up his body is by us speaking the truth in love, because it's speaking the truth in love that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up, and here it is again, in love. It builds itself up in love. David Pallison calls his kind of one-line phrasal uh, definition of counseling is he calls counseling wise love in action. This is all counseling is, all discipleship is, is wise love in action. I think at its core, that, that's exactly what we're called to be doing, to take love and to wisely, in wisdom, put it into action in every situation. See, the problem is, if we're honest with ourselves, we can counsel and disciple for all sorts of different reasons. Like, just because we're doing it doesn't mean it's loving. And I don't mean to assume the worst of you. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm projecting on my own faults. But I can sit down with somebody and seek to speak the truth to them or speak to minister to them for all sorts of different motives. Sometimes it could be self-righteousness. Right? Like, you do need help. I guess somebody's got to do it, and I'm in a pretty good spot. So it should probably be me. Right? Sometimes it can be a desire to feel important. Oh, you're coming to me. Oh, you know what? If you need help, you know, I, I can help you. Right? I could, I, could, I could do that. Maybe it's just morbid curiosity. Whoa, that sounds crazy. Like, tell me more. <laughs> right? Like, how, how can I? Like, man, like, what's going on in that person's life? Like, right? And so sometimes it's, it's like earning God's favor. Right? Like, you know what? Man, that's hard. But I think it's what God wants of me. And you know what? He'll be happy with me if I stick through it and stay here late into the night, like being with this person and being the one who sacrifices. Oh, I'm such like a martyr. Like nobody loves people like I love people. <laughs> right? And, and I think it, like it can be, they can be painted in caricatures, but I, I imagine that there's like pieces of those motives that we can all find in our own hearts. Right, like what led me into this room? Like what, what led you into that counseling room? What led you to, in, to, to call that person and say, hey, you know, let's get together? Like what a, sometimes, sometimes it's just straight fear, right? Or guilt or shame. Like, I guess I should. I'd be a really bad Christian if I didn't. So I'll call you, right? But what God is calling us to is something greater than just doing it. He calls us to genuine love, to actually loving other people. Now, one time, actually, after completing like an hour-long, similar to this, like an hour-long seminar on this topic, um, I was approached by a, a kind and, and concerned older gentleman um, who actually, I think he was the pastor of the hosting church where I was teaching. And... Um, and, and he, and, and, you know, and, and so in, in my selfishness, like, I, I, I wanted to impress him. And he expressed to me, he's like, oh, that was really helpful. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so glad it was. He says, he says, I just have one question. He goes, what is love? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, what? Like, I didn't, I, 
Wait, we, we just talked about love for an hour, and I didn't even say what it was. And what was worse, I was like, I don't even know how to answer that question. Right? Like, I just talked about it for an hour, and I'm not sure how to give you like a one-sentence definition of what is love. And you know what's worse? I'm still not sure I can. Right? Like, I'm not sure I can give you, actually, I'm sure I can't give you a one-sentence definition of love. This is why poets have tried for centuries to describe and paint the picture of what love is, right? Like, that's why songs get sung about love. That's why descriptions get, 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 get discussed about love. That's why scripture is filled with all sorts of different examples of love. And the reason is because it's not, like, simply definable. It's not just one discrete thing. It's not just a discrete action. It is a holistic manifestation of the goodness of God towards his people that we get the privilege of echoing and reflecting. And there's no simple way to, like, say, oh, it's this. Right? It's feeling affectionate. Or it's doing nice things. Or it's, right, it's, it, it, it can't be contained in a simple definition in that way, which is why we find descriptions and explanations all over the place. And so God, even God in his word teaches us about love, not by defining it. And I actually think that, that the format of the word of God is powerful and I think should teach us a number of things. And the format of the, of the word of the majority of the word of God is not in definitions, right? It's not, God is just. A definition for just is, right, like it, he, he paints the picture. He describes it. He models it. He illustrates it. And the same is true with love. And so at its core, really, we know what love is because he's loved us. Because we've been loved, we can know what love is. This is where 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If love is God's the manifestation of God's goodness towards us, manifested and maybe demonstrated most prominently and powerfully in Christ and his sacrifice for us, then for us to love others, us to reflect that love, essentially is us reflecting Godness and his likeness in us, right? And so, I mean, probably the best way I can describe love is love is Christ-likeness lived out towards others, right? It's, it's, it's God's image being born increasingly in us lived out towards others. And to the extent, even to the extent that the, the, the non-believing world is captivated by and enjoys love, it's because there's aspects of the divine reality, relational reality that they, that they experience and hear echoes of, right? Like even, even the world that, that, that doesn't know God still values sacrifice and affection and enjoyment, right? And then they, they kind of categorize those things as love in a number of ways because they, they hear in creation and in our image bearingness the echoes of God. But we then get the opportunity to uh, display that in, in increasingly powerful ways as God makes us more and more and more like Christ. I think oftentimes the the difficulty, and sometimes the difficulty that we don't talk quite honestly enough about when we minister the word of God to people is really just the complexity of it all, right? Like, like the word of God's complex, right? It's a big book. There's a lot of different things. There's a lot of things in here that are, that are hard to understand and hard to put together. And you could study it for an entire lifetime and still have plenty to learn. And God says, I want you to take my word 
and I want you to minister it to people with problems. But see, the other problem is people are really complex, right? I mean, those of you who were just in my last session, we just talked about like mental health and how just complex, impossibly complex in different ways people are. And not only people complex, but their problems are complex, right? And each discrete problem is complex, right? Each per different person's experience of depression is different than the, than the person next to them. Not only that, a person's experience with depression today is going to be different than their, their experience with depression two years from now, right? Because these, 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 they're impossibly complex. And so God says, yes, I want you to take my word and minister to the problems and people. And we're like, okay, how in the world am I supposed to do it? Right, there's this incredibly complex, impossibly complex word, and administer it to impossibly complex people and their impossibly complex problems, But the reason is because God doesn't call us to minister out of our omniscience. He's not saying you have to know everything about me to minister to somebody. He's not even saying you need to know everything about them to be able to minister to them. That's not his call. Right? That's not our job description. Our job description isn't figure it all out and then apply it. Our job description is to love them. And so when, when we take all of the things we're supposed to do and, 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 and all the different instructions in Scripture that we're called to minister to others and, and, um, and sum it all up, whether it's speaking the truth to one another or exhorting one another or caring for one another or forgiving one another, right, we need to, to try to put it all together and we're supposed to remember the commands that we're supposed to do and the verses that we need to remember to apply and we need to do all this with sensitivity to maintain and we need to be able to address all the different issues they're facing. We can feel like we don't know what to do. But it's into this, even in Romans 13, that God tells us, he says, look, yes, there's a lot of commands. Owe no one anything except to love each other. It says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. He says, look, love sums up everything you're called to do. And so yes, there are specific things you should do, but you can start by just okay, no, I'm called to love you. That, that summarizes everything I'm called to do. Love not only summarizes, though, but also unifies everything we're called to do. I, I, um, it's a, I, I have a, in L.A., okay, we have, like, small little plots of land, and so I have a tiny little, like, strip of a uh, front yard where I, like, kind of mow the weeds and... Um, <laughs> And a few years ago, my kids were younger, but I, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but like couldn't even like handle that. And so I broke down and asked the guy who mows like all the different weeds on the, in, on the street to include my house in his route. <laughs> it's like, you know what, I give up. I'm just gonna like have you do it. And my wife calls me giggling one day because like he showed up for the first time and he showed up and he trimmed like kind of kind of trimmed the edges and everything and then he disappeared and he just kind of left everything she's like what is going on and like a half an hour later he like mowed the weeds and then he just left everything and disappeared again and she calls me she's like i don't know what's happening She's like, he like did something and then he's gone. I don't know, he went to lunch or something like that. And then he came back and I'm like, okay, now he's gonna finish up. But then he did like one other thing and now he's gone again, right? And while she's on the phone, she's like, oh my gosh, he's here. And he's got, he's got like the blower, right? He's gonna like blow up and he blows everything off and then disappears again, right? And she's like, she's like laughing. She's like, I don't know what's happening. She's like, I don't know. well, it looked ridiculous, right? But what, and you, you might be on to his plan, right? He would like, he would trim everybody's lawn, 
and then he would mow everybody's lawn, and then he would blow the you know, grass off of everybody's lawn, right? Because he did like half the block, right? And so there was, a, there was a broader plan that made sense of these seemingly random actions, these seemingly random like moments. But I think that sometimes our ministry to others can seem like seemingly random touch points, particularly when you can't like be with like living step by step, moment by moment with someone every moment of their day. And sometimes you're going to speak truth to them. And sometimes it's going to be hard. And sometimes you're going to cry with them. And sometimes you're going you're gonna to encourage them. And sometimes you're going to give them a ride. And sometimes you're going to tell them, no, I can't give you a ride. You're going to need to figure this out on your own. Right? And, you're, and, and, and all these different random things, you're like, how do I make sense of all this? And how does all this fit together? How do all these different things I'm supposed to do, how does it make sense of all of it? And the point is that love is the grand purpose that can tie all of these things together. Sometimes it's our selfishness that ties everything together, right? Why did I do that? Well, because I wanted to, right? But on the best of, of, our, of our motives, love is what ties everything together. This is Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says, do you see? It's love. It's our genuine love for one another that binds everything we do together in perfect harmony. It brings unity to everything we do. And, it, and, it, and, and therefore, it's not my job to be the fully sufficient savior for your life. You have a fully sufficient savior. That's not me. But my job and the things that I do and don't do, the things that I say and don't say, all get united together because and when they're manifestations of love. Just as an aside, and this is for free, I, I just always, whenever I come through this passage, Colossians 3, it all, meekness always stands out to me. It's felt like meekness pops up all through the New Testament as a virtue. When was the last time you heard somebody encourage you to be meek? Right? Like, isn't that, isn't that just like a foreign concept? Facebook has killed it. Um, but, <laughs> no. Um, don't worry, it was dying before that. Um, but, like, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, it makes me think, like, how can I love you? Right? How can I care for you? And there's all sorts of ways, in humility, right, with kindness, and with meekness. Right? With, there's, a, there's, a bold, there's an appropriate boldness. There's also an appropriate meekness that manifests in our, that comes when we're manifesting love. Love also characterizes everything that we, we do. 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you be, do be done in love. See, there's, there's strength and meekness. They go, go together in, in different ways. But he says, let all that you, be, that you do be done in love. Let love characterize all your words and all your thoughts, all your actions. Right? And, and I think that this, I mean, this is one of the things that I, I have to ask constantly with my counselees. Is what, what is characterizing my counsel? Because the right thing for the wrong reason is the wrong thing. Like, I think we don't, I think we forget that, right? The right thing for the wrong reason is the wrong thing. The right truth for the wrong reason is the wrong truth. When we speak the truth in love, loves to characterize every, all of our counsel, whether it's the counsel to a counselee, whether it's just the discipleship with a friend, whether it's our children or our grandchildren or our spouses we're speaking to, that, that we can say love is characterizing what I'm conveying. My, my wife called me out just the other night for the way I was speaking to my daughter. And I kept like reiterating this. I kept like, but I'm right. <laughs> right? 
but I know what she needs, and it's this, right? I know what she needs to hear, and it's not you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, she needs to hear this, and I know it's a little bit hard, and I know that, that, that her hearing that kind of makes her sad. I think that that's important. And she kept saying to me, that's fine if, if what you're saying is making her cry, but not how you're saying it. It was like a half an hour. I did not want to hear it. Maybe that's just me. Um, I did not want to hear it. And, and, you know, and, and, and finally, as the Lord's working on my heart, I'm like, oh, you're so right. Because with my, whether it's with my daughter or a counselee or a friend or in any situation, the question is, is what we're saying, is what we're doing characterized by love, by consideration? Not just what do I want to say, what do I think needs to be said, but what do you need to hear? And how will you hear it? How can I care for you? In this moment, sometimes love says hard things. That doesn't mean that we don't say hard things. Sometimes love insists on saying hard things. There's also a difference between like saying hard things because you know it's what they need to hear, and saying hard things because you just need to get it off your chest. Right? Those are those are two different motives, right? First Corinthians teaches us that love, this kind of love, is necessary. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is you know, the famous love passage. It's a poetic description of love, and it's oftentimes used in weddings. I think appropriately so, right? It's quoted in weddings. Um, but the original context actually wasn't for weddings, and I don't, I don't think that makes it inappropriate. Like, I think we, we can use it and should use it in weddings. I think it's a beautiful application of it. But 1 Corinthians 13 falls like right in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. It's incredible how that happens. <laughs> Every time. But 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are both about ministering to one another and using our gifts in the body of Christ. Both of the, 12 and 14 are about how we minister to, care for others, how we use our gifts to bless others and care for others in the body of Christ. And it's in this context of ministering to one another in the body of Christ that Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That's one of the most sobering reminders for any kind of ministry we do with other people. Like, we offer up our self-focused engagement with others, and God looks at it and is like, Nope. Right? Like, that's not, that is not what I'm after. He says, I mean, if you could, if you could deliver up your body to be burned and, and it gains nothing, then you could stay up late into the night talking and it still gained nothing. You could sacrifice your time. You could sacrifice your resources. You could... You know, show up at the hospital every day for a month. Or says, if it's not love, it's not what I'm asking you to do. If it's love, if it's not love, it's not biblical counseling. You can quote as many Bible verses as you want, but if it's not from, from love and out of love, it's not biblical counseling. Every essential component of a Christian friendship must not be an act of dutiful moral practice, but God is calling it for us to be an expression of genuine love, which helps us. And, and, and the, the beauty is in this, you guys, our hope and our hope for our treasure isn't in the fact that we're going to love others well and therefore we're going to be rewarded. We've been forgiven and given everything we could ever imagine in the gospel and God's grace. 
But he wants to remind us that as we live out that love that he has so deeply shown us, he's calling us to more than just going through the motions. He's calling us to a deep and genuine love. First, first John 3, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. By this we know love, that he laid down his, for his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Paul Tripp in uh, this classic Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands in the beginning of it writes, I am deeply persuaded that the foundation for people transforming ministry is not sound theology, it's love. Without love, our theology is a boat without oars. And I, I mean, I hope you see here, he's not denigrating sound theology, right? He's not saying, who cares what you teach them, just make sure you love. He's not saying that. But he's, he's exalting the centrality of our love for others, I think, to its appropriate place. Where without which, you know, I mean, and love without theology is oars without a boat, which is similarly problematic, right? But you need both, right? We need both. So, so what does that look like? like what, how, do we, how do we put that into practice? What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? What does personal ministry look like? What does being a biblical friend look like? Well, I think it manifests in I think it manifests in all sorts of different ways, and it manifests in our thoughts and our emotions and our actions, right? Just like, just like if we're going to talk with a counselee, I just, I just love having a whiteboard here. I can't not use it if it's here. Um, just like we're talking with our counselees about how they have a heart and who they're worshiping, whether it's themselves or God will manifest in certain behaviors or, and certain thoughts and certain emotions, right? And just as we're teaching them that, you know, look, if you've got behavioral problems or thought problems, right, it's about the heart, and we're addressing the heart and who we love and who we worship, just as it's true for them, it's true for us as well as we minister to them, right? We're not ministering to them as perfected people who can now help, up, help messed up people, right? We're messed up people helping messed up people. That's like God's, that's God's design. We kind of wish it was different, right? We kind of wish like there were like professional experts out there who could like do it. But in his wisdom, that's not what he's done. And so we're like, all right, your design is better. You're going to use people like us Messed up people like us who aren't there that, to, to minister to others. And so, as we come to this, we, we're not just assuming that, oh yeah, I'm perfect and I'm ready to go. But I've got to wrestle through my own heart as I minister to you. I have to wrestle through my own heart as I care for you. And whether or not I'm seeking to serve and worship myself or God. And as I worship God, as I love God with all of my heart and soul and mind, it's going to manifest in love for my neighbor is myself. And so what does that look like? What can we expect then? What should we look for? Well, I think we should look for more than just one of these things. But we should love manifests itself in behaviors. It manifests itself in emotions. And it manifests itself in thoughts. All right, we'll start with, with thoughts. Love manifests itself in thoughts. We, we see this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 talks about love and describes it. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is an instruction to think of others in a certain way. To have the mind of Christ. To consider others more important than yourself. The, the NASB uh, translates it to regard one another as more important than yourself. That's, that's, a, that's a thought instruction. As we love God, we are going to look at those around us and regard them, consider them more important than ourselves. That is so unnatural for us to do. Right? To think of anyone as more important than us. 
Right? But it did, let alone somebody we're ministering to and caring for. He says, but no, as you love God, as you have, as you seek the mind of Christ, it is a call to regard others and consider, which is different than I think, see, I think sometimes when we hear that, we, we just think of behaviors. We, we think of act like they're more important than you. I mean, don't like think like they are. I mean, because they're not really, but you should act like they are. Right? You should treat them like they're more important. Right? But there's a, there's a, there's a dislocation there. That, that God isn't asking us just to act like they're more important. He's asking us to actually think of them as more important. To actually consider them, to regard them more important than we are. To sit down in counseling. To sit down across a table at coffee with somebody you're discipling. And to in that moment, to say, Lord, before you and because of the ways that you've loved me... This person and what they need and what they're going through is more significant than me and what's going on with me and, what's, and what I need right now. What they need is more significant than what I need. This is the exact opposite of like creating boundaries. It is. This isn't like create boundaries because you're more important but they need a little bit from you so make sure you can give them some. Like this is no, actually think they're more important. Set the relationship up so that they can be blessed because they're more important than you are. We don't have to be, we don't have to be captivated by self-preservation. Right? We, we don't have to make sure that we preserve ourselves, otherwise we're going to you know, go by the wayside. We can actually love God and consider others more significant than ourselves. But see, this manifests not just in our thoughts, but it also takes shape in our emotions. I think he, he explains, if you're thinking and regarding others as more important than yourself, then that's going to that's gonna manifest in, that's going to manifest, you should expect that to manifest in emotions. You should be emotionally engaged with those you're ministering to and caring for. Right? The, the therapeutic model in the world has this idea that you should somehow be emotionally disengaged, emotionally distanced, not be too involved. Unfortunately, we just don't see that model in Jesus. Right? There was nothing about what Jesus did that, that portrays holding back from being too involved. Right? If, if we're talking about the mind of Christ, he was involved to the point of death, Philippians says, and death on a cross. He was all in. And he wept over the lost in Jerusalem. He was all in. He didn't hold himself back. He didn't try to hold himself back so that he wouldn't get hurt. Yes, we, if we have Christ, we can, we can get hurt. And it's okay because our hope isn't in those relationships. Our hope isn't in the fact that, that our, our, our desire that nobody's gonna, somebody else isn't going to sin against us. No, nope. we know they're going to sin against us. Right? We're minister, every single person you're ministering to is a sinner. Right? They're going to sin against you. And eventually that mess is going to pour onto you. And, and holding back from caring, from genuinely caring, isn't the answer. In, in the classic uh, Desiring God, John Piper writes about love. I think it's so helpful here. He says, love does not seek its own private, limited joy, but instead it seeks its own joy in the good, the salvation, and the edification of others. Right? It seeks joy in the edification of others. In this way, we begin to love the way God loves. He loves because he delights to love. He does not seek to hide from himself the reward of love, lest he act, his act be ruined by the anticipated joy that comes from it. He says, no. And this isn't about, okay, I'm going to love you instead of being joyful. He says, no, no, no. I know that my greatest joy is found in the loving, the selfless love of another person. And caring for you is even a deeper joy both for you and for me. This is why... We see this described as 1 Corinthians 13 continues in, in what this looks like. It says, first, love then is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Sometimes, sometimes I read this description, verses 4 through 7, like in preparation to walk into a conversation. Right? Let me just remember what this is supposed to look like so that I know and I can see the red flags when resentfulness pops up. I'm like, oh, my heart's here for a different reason than I'm supposed to be here for. 
right? This isn't about me. This isn't about me. If I'm loving, I'm counseling, I'm discipling, this isn't about me. It's about you. It's about my call to minister to and care for you. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In any relationship, if you you have a conversation like this, you talk about love in marriage, and you tell a husband, you're supposed to love your wife this way. Just complete, it's, all, it's not about you. It's about her. The most automatic pushback you'll get from him every time is, okay, but if I do that, then who's going to be looking out for me? Right? So what he says, if you tell her to do it, that's what she's going to say. And in counseling, the same thing happens. We're like, okay, I'm supposed to pour out myself for all these people, but then who's going to look out for me? Which means somehow we've forgotten about what Christ has done. If he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, how will he not with him give us all things? We have somebody looking out for us. We don't have to worry about that anymore. We don't have to worry about like who's going to take care of me. We, like we, we can, and the reason we can love like this is because we have the security of the gospel that we have someone who's looking out for us, who's caring for us, who's going to, and is going to meet us where we need. Piper goes on in, in Desiring God. He writes, the, this very definition of love here in 1 Corinthians refutes a narrow conception of love. For example, Paul says love is not jealous, not easily provoked, that it rejoices in truth and hopes all things. All these are feelings. If you feel certain things, such as unholy jealousy or irritation, that's not loving. If you don't feel certain things, such as joy or truth and hope, you're not loving. In other words, yes, love is more than feelings, But no, it's not less than feelings. I think a part of this is we we need to both evaluate, am I thinking lovingly about those I'm counseling? And also, am I engaged emotionally? I mean, this can happen in the midst of of any relationship, right? Where you just kind of, you just kind of get numb to it all. Gosh, I just don't want to care. But God calls us deeper in. He calls us to care. God loves us with a passionate and emotionally engaged love. Don't, don't forget that, right? God loves, his love for us is emotionally engaged. He has emotion. He feels towards us and it is passionate for us. And we ought to love others in that same way. Sometimes we love, sometimes we choose to serve others out of that passionate love and care for them. Sometimes we hold back our service from them out of that love for them, right? Sometimes we say, I love you too much to keep enabling this because I care so deeply about it. But doing so is different than I'm fed up and I don't want to have to deal with this anymore and that's why I'm not doing it, right? Like we can withhold acts of service. We can withhold um, provision from people out of all sorts of different motives. And we can withhold it out of genuine love and concern for what's best for them. But we can also, just because we're withholding it doesn't mean we love them, right? We can also do it out of our self-love. And God constantly wants us to call us back, Lord, I'm calling you to not just do X, Y, or Z. When you ask yourself, what am I supposed to do in this situation? He says, I want you to love them. And finally, love manifests itself in our actions. Like, like I said, love manifests in what we do and what we don't do. There, there's all sorts of one another's in Scripture. There's live at peace and show honor and bear burdens and rejoice and weep and care and suffer and be kind and seek to do good and serve and accept and bear with and forgive and submit and show hospitality and pray and encourage and confess and instruct and teach and admonish and build up and spur on. And I mean, this is just a sampling of them, right? I mean, there's like 42 or some let's say 42, some let's say like 65. Like there's all sorts of one another's in the New Testament. I don't know about you, but like, they can be a little bit overwhelming, right? Like, okay, am I supposed to take my list into my counseling relationship and be like, okay, okay, now I'm bearing, and then I'm uh, admonishing, uh, but I'm also teaching, right? Like, like how, how do you keep all this straight? It, it, it reminds me of uh, one of my co-pastor Brian's favorite analogy is, uh, is like a father teaching a son a golf swing. 
And I experienced this in, in real time, actually, just last week. My um, seven-year-old is our, like, of all the kids, he's just like our sports enthusiast. He just, well, like, anything with a ball, like, that's all he wants to do. And so he's been begging me to take him to the driving range for months and months. We finally got a chance. We kind of, like, Father's Day weekend, I took him to the driving range, and he's like, you know, and we just got out of baseball season. And so he's swinging his golf club like a baseball bat, which you, you don't know anything about golf, but that's a bad idea. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work out well. So then I'm like trying to teach him what to do, right? And so I'm like, okay, yeah. And, and then he's like, he's doing this, and, he's, and his feet are like all over the place, you know. And he's like, and, and I mean, it's a tiny little ball. It's a tiny little head, right? So if there's any like movement this direction or this direction, you're gonna miss it, right? And so he, his feet are like doing this, you know, and he's like, I'm like, he's like, why am I missing it, you know? And it doesn't understand. And so I'm telling him, no, keep your foot down, like keep your foot still, right? Your hips this way, like bring it straight back, then bring it all the way forward, let it fall like a pendulum, but keep your head down, right? And there's like 20 things, he's like, ah, right? How do I do it all? And I think sometimes like our ministry to others can feel that way, right? Like, how am I supposed to do this all? Like, this is a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know what to do. But God, in his grace, is simply calling us to, like Pallison said, take wise love and put it into action. What makes sense of all of it is our call to not say, okay, how do I do it all? But to ask the question, Lord, I love this person. What, what can I do for them right now? What should I say to them right now? How do I consider what's most needed in this moment? God, will you give me wisdom? Well, give me wisdom, because this isn't a to-do list, right, that I'm supposed to, like, check off that I've done everything in the last month. What you want is for me to manifest love in real time, in real action. How do I put that into place? And so I, I don't have to, like, check everything off, but say, Lord, help me. What does this person need from me? Do, do they need me to just sit and cry with them? Or is that what wisdom suggests right now? Maybe. Do they want me to, do, do, do you, does love look like um, calling and, and, and calling them up in, you know, five nights in a row and just asking them how they're doing and checking in? Does it mean showing up and being present constantly? Is it, um, is it speaking a specific truth to them in this moment? Maybe there's a truth that they need to know, but they don't need to know it right now. Right? Loves, they just, I, I hold on to this, and I find the right moment to share it with them. I love, therefore, manifests in all sorts of, of different actions. And, and like it, there's a little diagram in your... Um, notes there. I believe that, I think one way I like to describe it is that love manifests itself in us taking time to know the person and serving them, putting that love into action with time and resources, speaking truth to them, and also gospeling them. By, by that I mean applying the gospel to the depths of their hearts, helping them see the depth of their problems and that, the, that oftentimes the, the problem's worse than they realize, but that God's grace is greater than they ever imagined. And that it's out of that grace and who they are in Christ that he's called them forward into living a life of Christ. But as we do this, we put that love in practice by, by just taking time to listen Listen, asking questions. Sometimes, I mean, oftentimes, and I, I, you ever heard me speak before, you probably heard me say this, I say it a lot, but oftentimes, I, when I'm talking with somebody and they start sharing their problem with me, like the thing that goes through my mind every time is like, I have no idea what to say to you. And the reason is because I don't. Not until I listen. Right? Not until I like, take the time to really understand where they're at. And then sometimes there is something to say, but sometimes what I need to do is not say anything. Right? Sometimes we just need to like, go get some groceries. Right? Sometimes like, you just need to ride home. Like, sometimes there's, a, there's an act of service that, that, that you need more than words right now. Some, but sometimes what you need is words. You need truth. Sometimes you need to be confronted. They're like, no, like... This is not what God said. Sometimes you need to be affirmed. 
that, you know what, you're on the right path. And I know you're discouraged, but you're heading in the right direction. And sometimes we need to take them deeper and be like, no, it's not just this sin issue on the surface, but there's, there's idolatry going on in your heart. You need to be reminded of the truth and the depth of the gospel. And love, then, as we genuinely love people, it manifests in us thinking of them differently, us feeling about them differently, and us putting into action what we do differently. And in that, I think you begin to see that biblical counseling, then, is more than just listening and dispensing verses. Right? I know you don't think that. Like, I I don't mean to... But I think that sometimes we can feel like that's what we're supposed to do. Right? I mean, I don't know about you. Like, I feel that pressure. Like, you're here. I'm a biblical counselor. Like, I'm supposed to, as quickly as possible, dispense verses. And, and, and there is a ton of truth that they need to hear. And we ought to be going to the word of God to do it. But the picture of what we're called to do in ministry is so much broader and bigger than that. It's to love them in our thoughts, in the way we feel towards them, and in the way we love them. Because the reality is there's no substitute for this. This is the way it looks. Or this is the way it's, it's called to look. And I mean, we, we see this in every different relationship. I'll, I'll end with just one more analogy. It's another analogy that makes me look bad. This is like filled, filled with... Whatever. Um, but it, makes me, it made me think of the way that... I guess when we're talking about love, it makes me realize, right? Otherwise, it's like, oh, man, that wasn't loving. Even if I did the right thing, it wasn't loving. I thought of this last time, this was maybe a, know, six months, maybe a year ago. The last time my wife was like really sick, like really sick. You know, she just got the flu or whatever, and she was laid up. And you know, I mean, when my wife gets sick, like life falls apart. Like I just like, it's, like the whole households. Like I'm, I'm like, how do we manage all this? Like how do we? How do we figure this out? You know, between ministry and work and the flurry of activities for our kids, like. Life just kind of goes off the rails when Laura gets sick. And, and so when she's sick, like I will, and when this, this last time she was sick, like I did like everything I could for her, right? I was like, okay, like let's, you sleep in, like don't get up, stay in bed, I'm going to bring you soup, like you're going to get everything you need, you get the nourishment, do you need some vitamins, like let's call the doctor, I'm going to go like get the medicine, I will go get it, I'm going to bring it here as quick as possible, and I did everything because I wanted to get out of that situation as quickly as possible. <laughs> right? <laughs> like we've got to get over with this. And I realized in reflecting at the, that while that was convenient and I was doing all the right things, God was calling me to something different than that. He wasn't calling me to bring her soup and to let her sleep in and to get her medicine because it was the quickest direction out of my difficulty. Right? He was calling me to love her. He was calling me to actually care about how she was doing. Right? He was calling me to be burdened for the pain she was experiencing, right? Like he was calling me to something different. And so I could do all the right things, but for the wrong reasons. And the Lord doesn't look at that and be like, okay, good, you did it. Right? He says, no, I mean, yeah, you wash the outside of the cup, it looks pretty. But I can't, like, but the Lord, I mean, the Lord, this is, is our God cares far more about why we do what we do than what we do. Now, yes, he wanted me to do all those things, but he wanted me to care about her, and I think the same is true in counseling. Right? We can do all the same things to like, get somebody through as quickly as possible, or try to fix things and get them on. Or, you know. But the Lord is after more than us just doing biblical counseling. He's after us caring about the people we're ministering to enough to really love them. And to manifest that love in the way we feel, and the way we think about them, and then what we do with them for them. So let me let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you will help us to increasingly be faithful in our callings, Lord. All all of our various callings, or all the various roles and responsibilities you've given to us, and particularly, Lord, as disciplers as counselors. Will you help us to be faithful, Lord? We recognize, God, that fixing is not 
the measure of faithful, that knowing it all isn't the measure of faithful, that always being there isn't the measure of faithful, Lord, but that what you've called us to is to love others genuinely and deeply and sacrificially and practically and with truth. So God, will you help us to do that? Will you help us to just know our own hearts and to dig in in and evaluate, Lord, our own hearts, not because so that we can be perfect counselors, because we're going to wrestle with our own sin and our own mess along the way, God, so that we can increasingly counsel and disciple more and more like you. Um, that's what we long for and desire. We praise you, Lord, for the time that we've had just to consider that together today. We love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Copyright 2018 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.